0: You've probably heard before that Satan is an enemy of God, right? That's not mind blown. Whoa, Satan is an enemy of God. Um, what you probably know also is that because Satan's an enemy of God and believers are God's children, Satan is described as an enemy of believers. You guys heard that before, right? It's nothing new. Have you ever stopped to think about that truth, though? That Satan is an enemy of believers. Satan opposes, accuses, attacks, tempts believers that if you're a Christian, Satan is an enemy of you. It's kind of a weird concept to think about that the ruler of this world, as Scripture describes it, is our enemy. Like, if you think about it like super long, it's like almost a little intimidating, like whoa, there's Satan out there who's opposing me, is an enemy, maybe Dare I say it seems a little scary, almost a little intense. Satan is enemy. Whoa! But maybe you're like, oh, but Nathan, I know the Bible, and you know, God's word says that. Okay, yeah, maybe Satan's our enemy, but ultimately, Satan doesn't have any power over the believer. You know, we're God's children; we're safe, secure. So ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, Satan doesn't have power over us. So yeah, that's a good that's a good thing. But it's kind of interesting just to think about Satan is Satan as an enemy. Now think of this. What if Satan wasn't your enemy? What if God was your enemy? Whoa. I mean, maybe it's a little scary to think, oh, Satan's the enemy. It's kind of intimidating. Whoa, he opposes us. Now here, say, God is your enemy. Could you imagine if God said, Harper, you are my enemy? Whoa, like, what? Bryce, enemy of God. Whoa. Like, it's dead silent in here for a reason. It's like, that's intense. Addy, enemy of God. Like, what? That's serious. That's intense. And I think that's a description that none of us would want. Does anyone want to say, oh, yeah, I want to be an enemy? It's like, no one in this room wants to say, yeah, I want to be an enemy of God. And guess what? passage that we're looking at today in James chapter 4 tells us how we cannot be described as God's enemy. Turn there right now. James chapter 4, such an important thing. Nobody in this room wants to be labeled as an enemy of God, and rightfully so. Well, how can we not be enemies of God? Let's look at this timely passage, James chapter 4, as we're in this theme talking about quarrelsome, quarrelsome. Last week we talked about our selfish desires causing these quarrels with other people, but also Our relationship with God, whether we're a friend or an enemy of God, can also impact our relationship with other people. If we're living in conflict with God, we're an enemy of God. That also can bleed out into conflict and quarrels with other people. So let's learn how we cannot be made an enemy of God. It starts off really intensely here. The first three words read this with me You adulterous people. It's like, hey, welcome to church. All right, you adulterous. It's like, Whoa, I probably didn't, like, read it as, like, intense as it's probably meant to be read. You adulterous people. I mean, could you imagine being the the recipient of this letter? And, like, say you get this letter from James, and it's in the mail, and you, like, open it up, and you read it, and you're like, oh, great, James wrote us. This is awesome. And you read it, it says, you adulterous people. You're like, whoa, calm down, James. What's going on? You adulterous, unfaithful people. Adulterous, someone's not faithful. Whoa, calm down, James. Keeps reading. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So, Someone who's a friend with the world, what does that mean? Oh, it can't be friends with, what's a friend of the world? Does that mean like pro-environmentalism? Like, yeah, save the earth. Like, oh, can't be a friend of the world? No, that's a, someone who is coinciding, it goes alongside with the desires and the passions of this world. Talked about last week, our sinful flesh, our sinful desires, that this world is all about. Hey, if you are someone who's all about those things, guess what? He's saying you're an enemy of God repeats himself. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, this desire who looks at the things of this world and says, oh, I want that. I'm going after those things. You do that. You make himself an enemy of God. That idea of you're establishing yourself. Yeah, you want to go after the desires and the passions of this world. You're making yourself or establishing yourself. You're setting yourself up as what? An enemy of God. There's a reason he repeats it twice. Verse 5, says, or do you suppose it is to no purpose or for no reason that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Now, that's a little confusing right there, right? If he says, hey, if you're a friend of the world, you can't be a friend of God. He says, hey, do you think about that it's for no purpose? He says, hey, there's a reason that Scripture says this. And if you're trying to find, sometimes you can say what passage he's quoting specifically from the Old Testament. There's not a direct verse that he's quoting explicitly, but it seems to be this theme of God's jealousy that he seems to be summarizing, because there's a lot of different passages in the Old Testament that you can point to that say a similar thing to this, but not the exact same thing. So he said, hey, friend of the world can't be a friend of God. You're an enemy of God if you're a friend of the world. Why? Think of the scriptures that say this, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. That's a little tricky. What is that talking about? Well, focus first on to say the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us. You know, Scripture talks about that That humans are made of, made of two parts. We're made up of our body, our flesh, our material person, but also there's this immaterial part of us that sometimes is described as soul, sometimes is described as, as spirit in Scripture. So, God made us. If you even look back at Genesis chapter 1, He, he puts within the, the, he takes Adam and makes him from the dirt, and then he puts a soul or a spirit within him, Say hey, God made you, he gave you your spirit, he, every part, both materially and materially made you, you're rightfully his, and guess what? He's jealous over you. If you, who are rightfully God's, because he made you, and doubly so, if you're a Christian, he not only created you, but he redeemed you, he saved you, you should be all about him. You should be a friend of God. And He is jealous if people say, Oh, yeah, I'm sw- I should be all about God, but guess what I'm going to do? Oh, I'm going to go after the things of this world. Oh, that looks tempting. That looks desirous to me. Say, No, look, God is a jealous God. But, but how can we do that perfectly? How can we perfectly keep God's expectations of c- completely being loyal and faithful to Him? Well, we can. That's why verse 6 says, But He gives more grace. who does he give the grace to? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride before God looks like, hey, God, I know what you want me to do. I understand your command of, you want me to be faithful because you're a jealous God, but guess what? I kind of just want to do my own thing. I know better. I mean, think back to Genesis chapter 3 with the fall. Isn't that part of what took place with that? Where God set Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, this is How I want you to live, this is what you can eat, and this is what you're commanded to do, but just this one tree, don't don't eat of it. But the pride of Adam and Eve, obviously tempted by Satan, saying, I kind of want to take a bite. I kind of want to eat of that tree that God says, I think I know better. I'm going to do what I want to do, not what God wants me to do. There There was the pride that came from that. God's Not okay with us doing our own thing. He's not pleased with us when we're prideful and say, yeah, I gotta know what you want me to do, but rather I wanna be all about this world. We need to be humble before the Lord. Live humbly and faithfully to God's commands. The reason that's given here directly in this passage is because God is a jealous God. Put it this way for point number one. You need to realize that God expects loyalty. God expects loyalty. Loyalty. Verse 5, which is a um, description of kind of the theme of God's jealousy. Our scripture describes God as jealous. God is a jealous God. And probably if you've grown up around the church a while, you're like, wait, but isn't jealousy a bad thing? Like, isn't that not something we're not supposed to do? How can God do something that, that's wrong, being jealous? I mean, think about it. If you saw your friend pull out of their pocket the new iPhone 20X Plus Pro. It's like, whoa, that's like not even, that's like going to be released in like 10 years. Like, how'd you get your hands on that? Like, and you pull out of your pocket, you know, your, your slide phone. I don't know, you guys remember those back in the day? There's a little slide phone, and a little little thing that the, yeah, like the first phone for probably a lot of leaders in this room, the one that slid and you had to like press the little buttons. It's like, you're going to see that new iPhone 20X Pro Plus mega, mini, I don't know, how come together, it's like, whoa, I want that phone, whoa, that's a cool phone, and guess what, the jealousy within you is, I want that thing, and why is that jealousy wrong, why is that wrong, you just want something, oh, well, it can motivate you to work hard, isn't that a good thing, no, it's because you're envious or jealous over something that is not rightfully yours, that phone's not yours, it's not rightfully yours, it's that person's, and you want that, but it's, guess what? It's not meant for you. Whoa. It seems like then God tells you is, is a bad thing. Well, let me give you another example. Imagine you've got a dog. Who's got a dog? All right, what's the name of the dog? Give me, a, give me one of the names of your dogs. Riley, Riley, okay. Imagine Riley, who's, who's, whose dog is Riley. Okay, Evan, now picture, you know, it's your family's dog, Riley. It's your dog. It's like, oh, yeah, love my dog. And your dog's all, you know, loves and pet, you know, like, hanging out with you, um, taking walks to the park. Now, imagine a friend comes over, and Riley, all of a sudden, starts hanging around with your friend. And when your friend wants to leave, Riley wants to go home with your friend and leave your family. You'd be like, Riley, what's up? Like, you're going to be a little jealous, right? You're going to be like, whoa, wait, like, I raised you, I took care of you. We were like buddies, like you're all about me, but then now all this. sudden so my friend comes over, and I say, like Josh comes over, and all, oh you wanna go home and be part of the, the same family instead of the raised family. It's like, that's not right. Is that a wrongful jealousy? Well, no, because that dog is part of your family. That dog is your family. And because he said, oh, I wanna go be part of this other, you're gonna say, no, you're part of this family. It's not right for you to go be part of that other family. That's a rightful jealousy, and see, God has rightful jealousy because He deserves all praise, He deserves all recognition, and if we start giving it to other things, He's jealous because He's the one who deserves it. Here's a, a definition of God's jealousy given by Pastor Mike in Partners. That I think is helpful, and I want you to write it down. It's this: God's jealousy. God is inflexible in His expectation of loyalty and rightful recognition. I'll say that again. God's jealousy means that God is inflexible with his expectation of loyalty and rightful recognition. You guys get that down? See, God isn't okay. He's not flexible if someone's giving their loyalty to some other thing or recognizing or praising something else that's not God. God isn't like, oh, okay, I'll just let it pass. That's fine. It's like, no, he deserves the praise. He deserves the honor. That's why in Exodus chapter 20, verse four, in the 10 commandments, he says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. He says, don't make idols. Don't bow down to these idols. Why? He says, For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Your worship, your praise, your affections belong to me, says the Lord. Don't go after these other things. Don't bow down to these false idols, he says to the nation of Israel. He repeats in Exodus thirty-four, fourteen: You shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. See, Just like it's rightful jealousy if your pet decides, oh, I want to start being part of another family. It's like, no, you're part of this family. You're rightfully supposed to be with this family. So, too, God, when we give our praise and our worship and we go and pursue other things described here in James 4 as the things of this world, God's jealous that's not how it's supposed to be. supposed to worship me alone. That's why, if you think of the Old Testament, when the nation of Israel was going into the promised land... You know, we're, we're getting there in, in, the, in our D B R when we get to the book of Judges where they're wiping out all the peoples of the land, these Canaanites. It's like, why didn't he just say, hey, take over? Why did they have to wipe them out? Well, because he knew that if they just let the people live in this promised land and they just lived with them, they would be tempted to see the, the idols and the false gods of the Canaanites, and they would say, oh, wow, we should worship those false gods too. Because God knew that, and God's a jealous God, he says, hey, you need to clear it out, wipe it out, because guess what? God will have no rival. God will have no equal. No one else is he gonna be allowed to let have the worship that is due to him. If you know the story of the Old Testament well, Israel didn't do that. They let some people in the land stay alongside them, and guess what? They fell into this sin called syncretism. Syncretism. It's taking two religions and blending them together. So it's, hey, we're going to worship the God of Israel over here, but guess what? Over here, we're also going to worship to Baal or some foreign God, and we're going to mix it together just to cover all our bases. Make sure we don't let any gods, you know, un- make sure we get them all covered. You know, God hated that. It's an abomination to him. So, oh, are you going to try to? Worship me and then also worship false gods? No, I'm a jealous God. I only deserve worship. Whoa, God, that seems kind of like egomaniac, like, whoa, kind of prideful of God. Well, guess what? If he created all things and he is eternal and all things he made, as Romans eleven thirty six, 36, all things are from him, through him, all things ultimately are to him, so he rightfully deserves it. He hated when the Israelites engaged in syncretism. He's not okay with that. And Israel because they let those people stay in the land, they fell into that sin, try to worship all these gods. God calls out, hey, I can't stand your unfaithfulness to Israel. He describes the faithfulness of Israel in Jeremiah chapter three, verse 20. He says, surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so you have been treacherous to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. It's like, Describing God as um, the husband and Israel as the wife and Israel is this unfaithful wife. They're just supposed to be together. Commit yourselves to one another. Say, oh, I'm gonna go with these other guys. That's not right. All throughout the Old Testament, you see it repeated over and over again and as we're reading through um, Leviticus, Numbers, and here we go getting into Deuteronomy, you always see this re- repetition of, hey, remember what God did for you? How in, how in Egypt you were enslaved and he let you go. Like it wasn't the Israelites who were like, you know, we're gonna overthrow the Egyptians. Like, let's go. like they like fought them. It's like, it wasn't your own doing. It was me who did these miraculous things and let you go free. Remember what I did for you? Now be faithful to me. That's what the law is about. Be, be wholehearted, faithful. They said, no, we're gonna be unfaithful. Like Jeremiah describes unfaithful wife. Once you turn to a book we don't turn to often, the book of Hosea. I think Hosea is a helpful and clear illustration of the unfaithfulness that's shown by Israel towards God. Hosea, if you're not sure where it is, Old Testament. Maybe turn to the three quarters of the way through your Bible. He said it's where it is towards me. Small little book. This really accurately describes this relationship between God and Israel. Hosea is commanded, Hosea the prophet, is commanded by the Lord to marry this wife, this lady named Gomer, who's unfaithful, goes around with all these different guys. And God says to Hosea, hey, I want you to, to, I want that lady to be your wife. What? Right, yeah, I see some of your faces like, "That, that seems like wrong, like, this lady is unfaithful with all these different guys, and God says, Hosea, hey, I want that to be your wife. It's like, I don't want to sign up for that. Like, none of the guys in there is like, don't sign me up for that. I don't want to do that. Why did God want him to do that? Look at Hosea, Hosea chapter 1. We'll start at verse 2. It says, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom." And have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Saying, hey, here's a picture of this unfaithful lady. And guess what? It's a picture of the land or the nation of Israel who has been extremely unfaithful to me. Verse 3, it says, So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. The Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. So, hey, think about this. This relationship between Hosea and Gomer is a picture of God and the unfaithfulness of Israel. He's saying, hey, I want you to go do this as a sign of the Israel's unfaithfulness to me. And guess what? Your kid is going to be named, I mean, super popular name nowadays, Jezreel. It's like, <laughs> there you go. Well, probably don't want to name your kid. Why? Is a sign of, hey, there's punishment coming on Israel for their unfaithfulness. Jump to verse 6. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name, very popular name, No Mercy. <laughs> Why? For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. Say, hey, name your first kid Jezreel, punishment's coming. Second... Your, your daughter, no mercy, because the consequences are coming for their unfaithfulness, not going to have mercy. Verse 8, when she had weaned, no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, once again, popular name, call his name, not my people. Like unfortunate names. Like, it's like, think about it, why? For you are not my people, and I am not your God. I know we're laughing about the names, but think how serious that is. Say, hey, Jose, you're going to go marry an unfaithful woman. Your kids are going to be a sign of, yeah, how Israel's been unfaithful. And the kids, a sign of the coming punishment that's coming for Israel's unfaithfulness. Because guess what? They're not my people. They've been unfaithful to me. And guess what? I'm going to give them over. They don't want to be my people. Okay, guess what? Consequences are coming Assyrians, Babylonians, captivity's coming. The back of your worksheet, I encourage you to read Hosea. We don't have small groups this week uh, because prepping for winter camp. But I encourage you to read Hosea 1 all the way to chapter 3, verse 5. And let's jump to the end here, chapter 3. Keep reading. It says, And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Talking about Gomer even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. God cares for them. Guess what? They're doing their own thing, wickedness. Though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Even in spite of their unfaithfulness, guess what? God was still gracious to them. He didn't leave them out in captivity. He cared for them. But the unfaithfulness, he despised and consequences came for it. I mean, you see how despicable that thing is and that probably drives it home a a spouse being unfaithful and it's like that's definitely righteous jealousy right there if one spouse is being flirtatious with other people like no we committed ourselves to each other and it's unfortunate because we see so many people break that commitment nowadays but no it's supposed to be a, a lifelong commitment to each other that's rightful jealousy just as God has for his people he expects us to be like it says loyal to him That's why compromise is so evil to God. And that's how it all started with Israel, right? They didn't completely kick out all the people. They said, oh, let's keep the children and the women alive. They won't be a snare to us. That compromise on God's command led to what? Idolatry. If you allow compromise to take place in your life, guess what? You're heading down that path, being all about this world, Consequences come for unfaithfulness. We don't have time to do it, but really quickly, I want to read a little section from Psalm uh, 37. Psalm 37. It's sometimes easy to look at the this world and all the, the sinfulness and maybe people who are engaged in wrong things and say, like, it seems like life's going better for them. Like, here am I trying to obey God, and it seems kind of hard, and it seems difficult, but... Here, over here, is sinful people, and they seem to be doing the wrong thing. Guess what? They seem to be promoted. Like They have a lot of friends. They seem popular. That seems to be a good thing. I'm tempted to, man, compromise a little bit. Psalm 37, verse 1, it says, Fret not or worry not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Hey, don't be envious of this world. Don't be envious of people who are all about their sinful desires. Why? Verse 2, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. So, hey, think of, think of plants, how quickly they die. Guess what? Just like that, the wicked person who is fulfilling their selfish desires and going after those things can come to an end. Rather, verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. I love this phrase, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Don't be unfaithful. Rather, be loyal. Be faithful to the Lord. Right here it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. To me, you no, know, just any selfish. Stuff. No, you delight yourself in God. Guess what? It's gonna be joy. It's gonna be a lot of good that comes if you trust in him. You do good. Delight yourself. Commit your way. It keeps going on to him. I mean, Psalm 37 is such a great, encouragement for us not to be envious or tempted or compromise to this world, but to stay loyal to him because he expects it. Luke 16, 13, it says, no one can serve two masters. You can't say, hey, I'm going to be about God. and I'm going to be also about the world. It says, you can't love, you can't serve God and money. You can't. You need to ask yourself, am I a friend of God or am I a friend of this world? Because you can't be both. Point number two, evaluate your allegiance Evaluate your allegiance. You can't be halfway in, halfway out. Yeah, I want all the blessings that come from being, and the benefits that come from being right with God, but also I want all the benefits that come from hanging out and being with all the sinfulness that takes place that I desire and that this world promotes. Oral and vinegar can't mix them together. Which side are you on? Where where are you allied? Where's your allegiance tied? Makes me think of think of allegiances and like kinda of drawing lines where God really clearly draws the line here is like when they're at winter camp next week and there's gonna be some epic snowball fights that take place, right? Right? Like there's gonna be like two like I'm picturing like two sides here. It's like guys versus girls, and it's like, yeah, the girls are like, Oh, let's take down these guys, let's go and the guys are like, hoo, hoo, hoo. it's like, oh, let's go. Or it's like students versus leaders. How about that, right there? It's like Oh, like, students are like, oh, man, we outnumber them, like, 10 to 1. But it's like, oh, the leaders are like, oh, what, are these kids going to beat us? Like, oh, it. Yeah. It's like, well, what's going to? It's like, the lines are set. Whatever how it's divided up. Seventh versus eighth grade. It's like, oh, yeah, eighth graders think they're so tough. Seventh graders step on up. Like, bring it on. The eighth graders are like, Psh, these little sevies over here. Like, pff, okay. boot, like, destroyed. We'll take, like, um, break them like my, Yeah my little finger will take them down. Like, they're so tiny. Like, the lines are set. Picture two sides, and I can picture it, and there's going to be someone. I don't know who, who it's going to be. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's Matthew. It's like, oh, I kind of want to be on both sides. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want anyone to, like, be mad at me. I just want to be a friend of all. Um, maybe it's Elle here in the front. It's like, I don't want anyone to get mad at me. Like, I'll be on both sides. Like, can I be on both sides? Like, I don't want Caitlin to be mad at me because she's on one side of the leader's side, but then like, you know, my friends are on the other. It's like, oh, can I be on both sides? And I mean, if this is, if this is the snowball fight that it's meant to be, it's like, no, pick a side, like friend or foe, like make yourself clear. You, you, shirts are skin. It's like, no, it's not going to be skins, like cause it's going gonna, it's gonna to be freezing out there. But it's like, like pick your side, like what side are you on? I know up at winter camp, it's like, okay, like, really, is it that big of a deal if someone's like flipping back on sides or traitor? It's like, it's like, but if it's an intense, like, supposed to be, it's like, you're a traitor? You a traitor? Like, it's like, whoa. I know it's a lighthearted illustration, but see, God hates it when people say, yeah, you know what I want to do? Be on team God and team world and try to do it together. Can't stand it. Revelation chapter 3, you probably know this passage, verse 15, it says, I know your works, you're neither hot or cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will what? You know this? Spit you out of my mouth. It's not saying, hey, hot's good and cold's bad or cold's good, hot's bad. They're, They're both good in different settings. Like if you're up at winter camp, what do you want? Hot water. And that's great. And when you're at Summer Revival and you're, you're burning up, what do you want? Cold water. They had these different rivers that would come in, and depending on the season, it's like both of those things are good. You know what you don't want when you're parched at Summer Revival and you just got done with games? You know what you don't want? You don't want to go pick up your water bottle and drink, and it's lukewarm, room-temperature water. Amen. Paxton's like, amen, like, hallelujah. It's like, man, it's like, yeah, no one, want, no one likes that. So too, the people say, "Oh, I want to be team God, team world." Can't. Which side are you on? We usually stop there. It keeps going. It says, "For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing." So this kind of wealthy city thinking, "Oh, well, my life seems to be pretty good," and so I, you know, I'm I'm kind of living that life right now, kind of acting one way at church and you know, kind of being around the wrong crowd of school. It's like I'm kind of doing both. And guess what? I'm not in need. I'm rich. I've prospered. I don't need nothing. It seems like I'm okay. It says, you're not realizing rather that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Yeah, you think your life's okay right now because you're living this two-faced life trying to hold them both together? You think it, You think, oh, well, I mean, I don't have bad grades, and I've got friends both places, and Nothing really catastrophic took place. Like maybe if I got in an accident, I'd have to realize, "Whoa, there's something wrong with my life." But it seems to be going pretty well. Say, no, it's not. If you're a lukewarm person or a lukewarm Christian, which I don't even like that. If you're a lukewarm Christian, you're not a Christian, in or out. Revival last year made that very clear. Dead or alive, it's not like this princess bride like mostly dead. It's like uh, uh, no, dead or alive. Which side are you on? Maybe you say, well, I'm not sure. How do I know which side I'm on? One thing I want you to consider today in saying where which side are you on is who are your closest friends? Who are the people you're closest to? Are they believers? Or are they unbelievers? Just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't mean they are. I mean, anyone can say, I can say I'm a hippo. It doesn't make me a hippo. It's like, sorry, shout out Team Hippos. Um, last place? I don't know. Uh, whatever. It's like, it's like are, are they actually? Are they believers or unbelievers? Because 2 Corinthians 6.14, it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Well, no partnership. Or what fellowship has light with darkness? No. No fellowship. The closest people, maybe it's not necessarily the closest ones to you, but the ones that you would like to be more friends with are those individuals at school that kind of the edgy crowd. Yeah, kind of compromising in different ways. Yeah, kind of like hanging around those people. Where's your allegiance tied? I think that is a clarifying statement of not only who are your closest friends, but man, who do you desire? your closest friends to be maybe it's all oh, well I'm definitely not with the cool crowd but like I want to be with that crowd or they are my closest friends are those ones at school who are completely disregarding the commands of God and saying I'm just going to do whatever I want that's the biggest one I want you to think about today who are your friends you could also talk about how you spend your time I think that shows what do you desire? The bigger one right now is who are your friends? God expects complete loyalty 100% of the time. Is that even possible? How can I be completely loyal to Him? I mean, I look at my own life, it's like, man, see sin here, sin here, sin here. It's like, how can I even do that? God's jealous, He can't stand it when. We're unfaithful to him, especially if your entire life is two-faced. Like, how can we meet God's expectation of his divine jealousy? You can't. You can't do it. That's why, verse 6, it says, But he gives more grace, grace, God's grace, undeserved favor. But who does he give it to? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Who says, God, I don't need you. I'm going to do it on my own. I'm fine. God's grace doesn't go to that individual. But the one who's humble says, man, I need God to forgive me. That's the one who receives God's grace. Point number three admit your need for God's forgiveness. Admit your need for God's forgiveness. The proud person thinks I'm fine. Yeah, life's been pretty good, like the individuals in Revelation 3. Life seems to be okay. The humble says, God, I repent of my unfaithfulness to you. Forgive me. The humble person realizes I need help. Can't do it on my own. Can't meet God's standard, his expectations. Forgive me. Help me. When I think of this, like, cry for, hey, I need help, or maybe the unwillingness not to get help, I think of myself or oftentimes individuals who, like, they go to maybe a grocery store or supermarket, and it's like, you don't know where it is, but it's like, I'm not asking for help. Like, I don't know, is anyone, like, firm with that? I guess your parents are probably going more to the store, but maybe the leaders here, it's like, like, I don't know, I'm going to the store, I'm going to um last night I said Trader Joe's I'm looking for uh JoJo's. It's like, where are those like you know the Oreos from Trader Joe's like I want the Jojo's, but it's like I don't really go to Trader Joe's, I don't know where they're at, but guess what? I'm gonna walk past like 15 different employees. I don't care. I am going to have the self-satisfaction to find those myself. It's like I don't need to go find Jennifer Simmons. It's like and it's like I don't like no, like I'm gonna figure it out myself. Like get out of the way. Or it's like, we're driving somewhere. Um, it's like, oh, do you know where we're going? Like, do you need directions? Maybe we should ask someone. It's like, no. Like, <laughs> I've got this. Like, it's okay, Becca. I'll get us to where we're supposed to. It's like, like figure it out. I don't care if it takes me two hours to walk through that grocery store to find those JoJo's by myself that could have taken me five minutes. It's like, I'm going to find it. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else is like that. Or maybe you're like the first person you like walk in and and um, they're like, "How can I help you?" It's like, "Oh, hey, like, where, where are the jodas?" It's like, "Oh, they're right there." It's like, "Yeah, like how you're supposed to do." It's like, "Yeah, the difference between no, I don't need any help, versus the no, I need, I need some help. Can you help me out?" That takes humility, saying, "I, I don't know where it is." It's the ego and pride in, in me to say, "Ah." Figure it out on my own. And so I can say, I found them without any help. It's like, who's going to ask? Like, like oh, where'd you get? did you find them by yourself or did you have to ask someone? Like, oh, you had to ask someone? Like, wow, what a loser. It's like, I don't, like what do you think, oh, you look so dumb for having it. It's like, but our pride. I'm good on my own. I don't need your help. See, a lot of good comes for those who humble themselves before the Lord. I want you to turn to this passage, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Common parable that you've probably heard before contrasts two people one person who has this almost self reliant attitude, the other one who says, I need some help. Luke 18, drop down to verse 10, it says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Pharisee, this religious leader, standing by himself, he prayed this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Because think, tax collectors at the day, wasn't just like, hey, this is what you owe. Sometimes they would charge you more than what you actually owe just so that they could take the excess. So it was like, it was a pretty wicked job position, pretty wicked individual. It's like, God, thank you I'm not like these sinful people. I fast twice a week. I give tithes that all that I get. I mean, you can picture this Pharisee, right, in your mind, like, God, thank you I'm not like this guy, like scum of the earth over here. It's like, I'm pretty great. Verse 13, but the tax collector, standing far off, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, God, show me mercy. Show me your grace, undeserved favor. Forgive me. Verse 14, it says, I tell you, this man went down to his house, justified, which is made right before God rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. why, Why did Jesus give this parable? Well, we skipped over it, verse 9. It says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And what? Treated others with contempt. So this pride before other people, oh, you're lesser than me, I'm way better than you, which causes quarrels and fights, but was really rooted in these people who was trusting in themselves, thinking, I'm so great, I'm good, I've got this all figured out. That's why he wrote this. why he said this parable. What's the difference between these two guys? One person, the Pharisee thought, I'm good on my own. I don't need God's forgiveness. I've got it figured out. I'd rather do my own thing. The tax collector said, I need help. Forgive me of my sins. Have mercy on me. You see those two characters clearly, right? Which one are you? Which one are you? Are you the self-righteous Pharisee that thinks I can do whatever I want, can be about this world and about God, try to bring them together, pursue the things that My selfish desires want to go after? Or are you, on the other hand, a tax collector who says, No, I need God to forgive me of my sins, my unfaithfulness, my wickedness? If you pray to God and say, God, forgive me of my sinful lifestyle, I'm going to trust you, give my life to you, give control you can too walk away like the tax collector justified made right with god you know you could do that today you have to wait till like revival winter camp it's like oh god can only save at winter camp it's like no got any more able to save a winter camp here it's like no don't take god's grace and mercy for granted today it's like i need god's forgiveness Talk to a leader. Talk to me after service. Rather than saying, I'm going to live this life however I want. See, God wants people to come to him humbly in repentance. Luke chapter 15, you probably remember this passage, another parable. Um, Prodigal son. Prodigal son. Son goes off, squanders his, his parents' wealth. Ends up eating the food with the pigs. He says, You know what? If I just come before my dad humbly, maybe he'll just adopt me back as like a, a slave, because being a slave is better than being here with the pigs. Maybe he won't, maybe he will, I, I don't know, but I just gotta go confess to him. And guess what? Father embraces him, welcomes him back as his son. The warm embrace that came from him humbling himself before his father, saying, Forgive me. See, I know God has lofty expectations that his jealousy bring on to us, which is complete faithfulness. But guess what? Just as great as is his grace, is willing to forgive those who not are proud and say, I don't need him, but say, God, have mercy on me. Matthew 23:12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, maybe not in this life, but in the next. But whoever humbles himself before the Lord, guess what, will be exalted. It's a great truth. I know it's a a strong passage in James 4. It kind of smacks you in the face, but I think this is the wake-up call that we need. Because you need to realize now, whether you're an enemy of God or not, rather than the end of your life standing face to face before the lord and it being too late it's probably a strong sermon probably convicting but i think it's what we need to hear now rather than rather than not so thankful for this passage in james chapter 4 pray that you would consider it and ponder it and think about it the implications of it on your life not my words but inspiration words of the holy spirit let's pray God, we understand your expectation of complete loyalty and allegiance and faithfulness. God, we realize that we can't perfectly meet that standard, that it's only through Christ that we can be saved. God, I pray if there's anyone in this room that those who aren't following wholeheartedly after you would stop living for themselves, stop pursuing The desires of this world, but say, I need to give my life to Christ. Have Him be in charge. Him be the Lord, the Master. Because it's far better than anything we could imagine. Help us to learn to humble ourselves before you, even for the believers in this room who aren't perfect but are living a pattern of general faithfulness when they do sin, that they wouldn't try to cover that sin, but they would come before you and repentance, humbly, and it causes us to live a life of humility towards other people as well. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.